2: See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx.
0: It's time for Peter Greenberg Worldwide with America's number one travel news journalist. And now the man who travels over 400,000 miles each year, the travel detective, Peter Greenberg. Peter Greenberg here with the latest Ion Travel podcast. This week, my conversations with Roger Dow, the CEO of the U.S. Travel Association, on some of the real statistics and staggering dropping numbers of travelers, and a look at not just when, but how we start to travel again. Then I'll check in with two American expats for their report, the New York Times' Elaine Cialino from Paris, and our regular contributor Doug Lansky from Sweden, a country that still doesn't have a stay-at-home order. First up, Roger Dow. He's the CEO, the chairman of the United States Travel Association. Roger Dow, how are you, sir? Peter,
3: how are you doing under
0: these very trying
3: circumstances?
0: Extraordinary to say the least. I guess the question I've got for you, Roger, is when you take a look at just the sheer numbers of where we were even two months ago and where we are today, no one, I don't think, including me and you, could have ever foreseen this sort of a complete drop off in everything. We've seen, you know, other crises in other decades that were regional that were local, that were, that were directed at a certain sector of the industry, but nothing like this.
3: Peter, I'll, I'll tell you, uh, I, flo- we closed out the year, uh, and it's the old Dickens quote, it was the best of times and now the worst of times. We finished the year, uh, with a decade of every single month being bigger for travel and tourism for 10 straight years, 120 straight months. Everything hitting on every cylinder, just so excited about uh, 2021 and 2020. The rest of this whole year, it was going to happen the next two years. Uh, Inbound International was going to be monstrous, getting bigger and bigger, more Chinese visitors, and boom, the bottom fell out.
0: And, you know, it's one thing to look at where we were, it's another thing to speak today as to where we are. But the real key right now is where we're going to be. And there, I don't think there is any one answer or any one timetable that's even in the very least realistic.
3: Well, I'll tell you, uh, let me just talk about where we are and then a little bit where we're going. Where we are is the travel industry alone has almost 6 million unemployed uh, compared to 14 million in the country, and that's going up in both sides. Uh, we represent 3% of the GDP. That's Forty two percent of all the unemployed. The travel industry alone has lost like five hundred billion dollars. So it's a real challenge. Now, I'm on the president's task force for recovery. And we just had a call this morning with the president and multiple CEOs. And uh, to say that no one knows where we're going, I think, is quite right. He talked about governor after governor opening their states as they felt was the right time. He wasn't going to do an executive order. But it's going to be all over the board, I think. It's going to come slowly and in waves.
0: Well, not dealing with with the uh, obvious constitutional issues, the real question is when you have seven states that still don't have a stay-at-home order and no widespread effective testing, there may not be a right time to open the door right away.
3: And and I'll I'll tell you the overwhelming thing uh, that we had on the call the other day with the president was testing, testing, testing. I can't tell you how many CEOs said we've got to have a reliable way of eliminating fear of people knowing that it's safe to travel, whether it be with travel employees or themselves or the other people on a plane, on a cruise, or in a hotel room with them.
0: You know, go back to 9-11. Americans had fear then. They didn't want to fly over a large body of water uh, to go to another destination because they were afraid of terrorism and their own airline safety. Today, it's way beyond that. They may not even want to go across the street.
3: We're looking at this as uh, seven times worse than 9-11, which was horrible, Uh, much worse than the Great Recession. And uh, I think what's going to happen, Peter, is it's going to slowly go. uh, You're going to see the drive markets begin to come back. Americans aren't going anywhere next year. I promise you Americans are going to stay home at least through the summer. And that might be the only silver lining here that Americans will go to California versus to Italy or Spain, where they might have gone. Uh, but it's going to come slowly, and as you said, state by state, and uh, it's going to not be a, across the board, turn on the lights tomorrow morning.
0: Well, let's go back to a time that both you and I remember, where we couldn't travel just with our passport. We had to carry a yellow health card, which had on that card whether or not we'd been, you know, inoculated with malaria or anti-smallpox or yellow fever or typhoid. Uh, today we may have to come back to some sort of a medical ID as part of the protocol to, to uh, have other countries allow us there or the United States to allow them here.
3: It's interesting you bring that up uh, on the, the other day on the, the president's task force call, uh, one of the CEOs brought back that very memory of when he was a young boy carrying his yellow card that showed to be inoculated and we could be going there. Uh, the overwhelming uh, discussion was on uh People with antibodies, people who haven't had it, a medical card. And you are walking that fine line of uh, privacy and civil liberties and all that versus the health of the world.
0: Sure. But, you know, we're talking uh, about defining us as the United States of America. Right now, we are the individual states of America. So I can foresee a situation in which we get the green light to travel in New York. And Ohio says, if you're from New York, you can't come here.
3: I've actually seen that in some states. Uh, for, uh, I'm talking to you right now from St. Petersburg, Florida, lovely place. But the bottom line is uh, they were stopping cars for a little while that were coming from New York, coming into Florida. I mean, it's not so far-fetched.
0: And so I, I agree with you, Roger. I think when travel does come back, it will come back slowly with domestic travel, with drive-to destinations, maybe RV sales, especially I, I think of RVs as uh, self-contained uh, uh, mobile, mobile uh, quarantine units. I mean, people can literally uh, – you know, it won't do, do a great thing for hotels because people will drive from city to city and only stop for gas or food and then stay in the RV.
3: I think you're, you're right on. Uh, I'm going to go out and buy myself some RV stock because you're selling them here.
0: <laughs> well, to avoid all conflict of interest and in the interest of full disclosure, I own no stocks in the travel industry. But uh, for all the obvious reasons. But the bottom line is when everybody's talking, because everybody's asking me the same question they're asking you. When do you think we're going to travel again? When do you think? And I think a much more important question that needs to be asked and then answered is how we're going to travel, not when.
3: Uh, No question about it. Uh, We're doing a lot of research and we're finding that people are saying uh July, August, maybe at 20%. Fall is what we're hearing a lot more, and we're hearing a lot more on drive uh, and pushing flights off to fall. Cruise, actually, to next year. Now, the good news for cruise is I'm told by the cruise people, their bookings are up for 2021, uh, but to get from here to 2021 is going to be a challenge for them.
0: Yeah, in many cases, the reason why those bookings are up, those are the repeat cruisers, the people who, who cruised with them before, uh, the people in the upscale uh, cruise market, you know, the silver seas, the seaborns, the crystals, and those ships. But for new cruisers, everywhere I go, people are coming up to me saying, you can't pay me to get on a cruise ship because the visuals, those, those intense optics of, of what was seen by the, you know, the diamond princess being quarantined in Yokohama or the grand princess unable to find ports in California until they finally let them in. Of course, the most recent issues were the Zandam in Florida. I think they've got a pretty steep hill to climb.
3: There's no question about it. Uh, You you spoke about the visuals, and you saw those visuals for people on a ship for 14 times. But when you really look at the hundreds of ships that took off, five or six ships that had actual people with the virus, but, again, the visuals are the reality. Uh, But, quite frankly, it's been extremely safe. Uh, But the visuals have said uh, you better be cautious.
0: The way I'm looking at it now, based on the people that I've spoken with, At the CEO level, and you're speaking at that level as well, I don't think anybody's expecting anything to really happen before June 15th or July 1st.
3: You're exactly right. Uh, We're looking at uh, right now, I I think uh, late June, uh, July is the time, and it's going to come back with uh, pioneers People like you, myself, will get on a plane, and then we'll go back and tell our neighbors, hey, it was fine. We saw no problems. And then our neighbors will say, okay, if it's good for Peter or Roger, we'll try it. But it's going to come slowly, and there's going to be some pioneers out there that people are going to watch and get reports back from them.
0: And it's not just the pioneering people. It's the pioneering providers. For example, right now through the end of May, Delta Airlines is saying that if you fly the airline, there's no chance you're going to get stuck in the center seat because they're not booking anybody in a center seat. And I'm, I'm waiting for the airline to come out with a different statement saying, moving forward, unless you're flying with a significant other or a family member, there'll be nobody sitting next to you, which means they're gonna have to reconfigure their planes and reconfigure their business model so that you're gonna end up paying between 50 and $80 more per ticket per passenger. But something tells you, Roger, if they do that, we'll pay it.
3: I think you, uh probably going to be right that the challenge is the economics. I was talking to a friend of mine who's responsible for Broadway and Broadway inbound. And I said, do you think they'll make you go to every other seat? And he said, if they make Broadway go to every other seat, they might as well go to no seats because Broadway can't stay open. And that's the, the conundrum you have here with these kind of solutions of, can you have a ballpark with every other seat? Probably not. Uh, so it's going to be a real problem for entertainment, for large gatherings. I'm concerned about what's going to happen with protocols, uh, our protocol is going to be put on the industry that only so many people can stand in line so far apart, only so many people in a meeting room, et cetera.
0: Not to mention destinations like Las Vegas or even the theme parks. Part of the, of the model of the theme park is that you're going to have an experience with other people sitting right next to you. And, and that's part of the shared experience that may not be around now.
3: Yeah, it's, it's going to be very interesting uh, to watch Disney in the theme parks. Uh, Disney is usually very progressive of what they do, and I'm sure they're already – talking about what steps they're going to take because they're usually ahead of the game.
0: Roger, we were just talking about, you know, the the group experience, meetings and conventions. You have a big one that just got canceled, right? IPW. I mean, you can't get bigger than that group. How many people normally come to an IPW?
3: We have a little over 6,000 people uh, from 70 countries around the world. And uh, we just canceled it. It was supposed to be in Las Vegas uh, starting uh, May 30th. And uh, we just canceled it. We're looking for the last minute, but the people can't get here from these countries. There's no airlift. Uh, People are quarantined in their cities, and it just is not feasible to hold a convention.
0: Right, and then that's just the Las Vegas model. Let's move a little further west to Hawaii, which for years, you know, Hawaii tried to restrict the importation of illegal Fruits and vegetables. I am now the new fruit and vegetable, right? I, I, with the human being travelers are now the fruits and vegetables because they're they're an island. They they want to make sure that nothing gets in there to disrupt the the, the food cycle of the health cycle. And that's going to be very interesting to see how Hawaii opens up as a model for many island destinations and many island nations.
3: Well, there's no question about it. In fact, uh, you're always a step ahead of me. I was going to make a joke out of that, but you got ahead of me on the fruits and vegetables. But it's going to be no question about it. Uh, we're going to see protocols we haven't seen before, and we're going to be right up against civil liberties, right up against uh, who's tracking whom and, and what is the, the right thing to do for the health of the country and the world. Uh, it's going to be very interesting to see how this plays out.
0: Also, Roger, there's, uh, there's the issue of corporate travel responsibility. I mean, every business has a travel policy of who they let travel, when they let them travel, when they think it's safe, custody of care. How is that going to be effective?
3: Uh, that's one of the things that happened almost immediately is corporations put out travel policies of don't travel. And the reason they put them out is they were getting great pressure from their employees and from their HR departments saying, we can't put people on the road. What if someone gets sick? They could sue us. And just like September 11th, we're going to have to work hard to get corporations to pull those policies back and get people traveling again. That'll be a big piece of the equation.
0: It's called too many lawyers in the room and liability issues, right? No question about it. And that really gets back to the yellow health card, because if a country lets me in or a hotel lets me come in as a guest and I have not been either properly tested or in the absence of a vaccine, but hopefully down the road having been vaccinated, and all of a sudden I infect somebody at that hotel and they infect somebody else, the hotel could be sued because they knew I was not tested and they let me in anyway.
3: Yes, and that was one of the conversations uh, today, uh, the other day that we had with the president when we spoke about one of the CEOs brought up, is there going to be some immunity from lawsuits because uh, of COVID-related lawsuits? Because People are sensing that that's the next step that could happen.
0: All right. You, you beg the question. And what was the answer?
3: The answer is we are looking at it. The
0: <laughs> <president>. <laughs> yeah. yeah, they're looking at it. OK. Or as, as the president will always say, we'll see what happens. But things are moving too fast to so like wait and see, because you and I have been around long enough to know that these liability issues are not going to go away.
3: No, they're not. Uh, and the main thing when we were talking with the president the other day is that the need for facts for clear communication uh if people understand they they're following the facts very closely but it's got to be very clear communication uh and uh the president stressed how important optimism and to be favorable but be smart at the same time
0: yeah you can be as optimistic as you want but if somebody says they don't want you to come in because you live in new york and you you have no way to verify that you've been properly tested or you're not you know going to infect somebody you're not even going to get on the plane
3: it is going to be a Series of protocols like we've never understood before, and we're going to invent them as we go. I guarantee you. So here's
0: my, the, the big bad question. Is 2020 shaping up to be a, an unwanted and forced gap year for everybody? Uh, no question about it. We think uh, Oxford
3: Economics, which does a lot of uh, economic forecasting for us, predicts the industry itself will have lost 40% of their worth this year. So, yes, it will be the year that will be one for the record books with an asterisk and hope 2021 comes out of it and we get back to normal.
0: Of course, there's a limit to how much I can reorganize my closet.
3: <laughs> I'm down at what T-shirt I wear, what pair of shorts these days?
0: I know. All kidding aside, uh, the, the human behavioral aspects of this are going to be different, too. Uh, the way we eat at restaurants, how we eat at restaurants, how the spacing is at the tables, where we go out, where we don't go out, what's the future. I happen to think maybe the drive-in movie theater is going to have a comeback
3: you know you might be right and i think we're going to see a cottage industry just like when tsa started of security i think you see a cottage industry of design of restaurants i mean think of all the plastic shields that appeared out of nowhere for cashiers i don't know where they came from but every place i go to the the cashier has a plastic shield in front of them i don't know who manufactured and who got them out so fast but i think you're going to see restaurant designs change layouts change food menus get simpler uh and kitchens are going to be like operating rooms
0: they have to and be. my guess is the average tab of a of a meal will go up between 30 and 40% i'm talking about the, the restaurants where you actually sit down and eat because they're going to have to space the tables out and by spacing the tables out they cut down the number of people they can serve in a, di- in a in a given evening
3: the average restaurant can't go on forever that way peter uh we've we've got to get to a point that we can come back to whatever normal is Uh, because you can't run your restaurant on 50% unless you hike the prices significantly, then the customers don't come.
0: Exactly. So where are you going to travel when this is all over?
3: I'm going to travel everywhere I can. I'm going to be the example. I want people to know it's good to travel, and uh, I'd like to go to New York City
0: first. Yep. Well, we'd be happy to have you here. I can tell you this, Roger. I walked down Fifth Avenue yesterday. I walked for 20 blocks down and 20 blocks back. I counted a total number of 18 people and 12 cars
3: it's that way everywhere everywhere it's going up and it's tough it's very tough
0: joining me now an old friend colleague partner in crime uh the author of the send the and of course from the new york times herself and directly from paris on our show Elaine Chilino. How are you, Elaine?
2: I'm fine. Thanks so much, Peter. It's uh, great to be chatting with you again.
0: Uh, and one of the reasons why we're talking is a uh, is a photograph that you sent me recently of the Seine, showing it like the clearest it's ever been, uh, as, a, as a sort of indirect result of uh, the coronavirus.
2: Uh, that's right. The, the Seine uh, may be cleaner than it's been in, I would even say, centuries, at least in Paris. Uh, the Seine, obviously, at, at its at its source, deep in Burgundy, is so clean that you can drink for, from it, as I did, and you can swim in it, as I did. But in Paris, it can be really murky and mucky and gray-brown, uh, uh, depending. It can be, get khaki, it can get gray, but it never gets blue-green. And now, it's so clean, you can see to the bottom.
0: And, of course, if you look at the Seine today, you're not going to see a, a crowd of bateaux mouches. They're all
2: tied up. You're not going to see bateau-mouche tourist boats. You're not going to see people jogging along the river or or drinking and eating in the restaurants along the river. You're not going to see all of the the, uh, cargo traffic uh, moving in the big cargo boats up and down the river, except for necessary and important functions. For example, one of the supermarket chains uses the send to transport its goods.
0: All right, but that's an exception. But, as somebody
2: who's lived in Paris as long as as long as I can recently remember this has got to be a brave new world for you well this is wild because Paris is a city of the outdoors it's the city of the flaneur the uh, itinerant stroller with no fixed destination and even after the horrible t- terrorist attacks of November uh, 2015 when Uh, restaurants bars uh, 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 a concert hall were attacked Uh, the next day people were out on the street celebrating in uh, cafes and restaurants and now all the cafes and restaurants in all of France are closed
0: And, and look you've been there since 2002 Yes. Um,
2: it is, of course,
0: either number one or number two on Americans most desired destinations to travel to. Uh, and you know, at, on a normal day like this, uh, you'd have crowds at the Louvre, you'd have crowds at the Musée d'Orsay, obviously on the Seine. Uh, but moving forward from here, you know, we have a stay at home order in, in New York and in many states around the country that's extending through the end of this month and will probably be extended again. Uh, what has President Macron done now? What, what is your actual extension now?
2: Well, we have a stay at home order at least until May 11th, when he has said he wants to reopen daycare centers and schools. But even then, uh, the entire population of France will not be allowed to go out. For example, it's predicted that people who are quote unquote aged, that is over 65 or 70, uh, depending on what the government decides, will not be able to go out, maybe not until the fall. Uh, you, you, you can't go out easily in France. I mean, first of all, France is the fourth, is the fourth largest number of cases in the world after the United States, Spain, and Italy. So the rules are really, really strict. And for me to go out on the street, for example, I have to take this one page Attestation de plasma dérogatoire, which means certificate <laughs> certificate of exceptional movement, and I, oh, I have I, to I sign. I want one of those. I want yeah, one. Yeah, you want one, one of those? Well, I'll I'll send one to you. You know, I have one right in front of me. I have to sign it. I have to date it. I have to put the time on it. I have to put where I was born and the date of my birth. Uh It can only be used for one hour, and it can only I can only walk within a kilometer of my uh, permanent residence, and I have to check off one of um, uh, seven different reasons why I'm out on the street. Uh, For example, one of them would be necessary shopping. Another would be a medical visit. Another would be essential work. And one of my neighbors checked two of them. And she got stopped by the police and fined by the police for not filling out her form correctly.
0: Wow. This, this goes back to my old World War Two movie days of let me see your paper. That's exactly
2: right. No, it, it's really true. You have to, well, you have to go out in France anyway with your identity paper. You can't, you can't just go out on the street without some kind of proof of who you are. But now you have to have this, uh, this uh, statement with you and, and you have to print it out. Every time you go out. So every day you have to print out a new one or now they're allowing you to 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 use one on your phone. So I guess
0: the real question, and it's the unanswered question, is not a question of when are we going to go back? Because nobody knows that answer. And I don't think there's going to be one answer. It'll be many answers from many regions, states and countries. But the question that is the one that's really confounding me, of course, is how we're going to go back.
2: That's the crucial question and already um the French are trying to figure this out. I mean as you mentioned museums in France right now are closed. The, the people can't live without museums. Um uh, all of the concert halls are closed. You can't go to a cafe. Going to a cafe is part of everyday life. But when you say how are people how's it going to happen? You do have tiny little um, oases of pleasure. And one is right at my corner, uh, the, the street that's called the Rue des Martyrs, which I wrote about it in an earlier book called The Only Street in Paris and it's celebrating life because part of the street is zoned artisanal and artisanal for food stores. So on a 2 block stretch I have two butchers, a fish market, two cheese stores, an Italian epicefi, five green grocers, two of them organic, three bakeries, a liquor store, a supermarket, a frozen food supermarket, and an uh, organic uh, food market.
0: And they're all open. And they're all
2: open. And my husband went out this morning and got a whole Dorad for uh, a whole fish for 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 dinner, and at Easter we had a beautiful gigot d'agneau from from the butcher. And uh, you know, you, okay, you can't go jogging from 10 o'clock till seven uh, in the evening. You can't go biking. You're supposed to walk alone, except with except if you go with someone you live with. But I can go out on the Rue des Martyrs, and you know, I can socially distance, but I can I can buy things from all my merchant friends and and feel like. There's something in life that goes on.
0: So the the best part of the rule about staying at home in Paris is you're still going to eat really well.
2: You're still going to eat really well if you don't have to go to a restaurant. Yes, if you know how to cook. (laughs)
0: Exactly. But you know, but I'm talking about the protocols of when we come back, of social distancing at a cafe when they when they when they reopen, or social distancing at the Louvre, or social distancing, you know, walking down the Champs Elysees, which is usually pretty tense. Well.
2: And, and France may be slower to go back to normal than a lot of other countries because France is desperately trying not to become Spain or Italy. You know, you've had 148,000 cases and seven, more than 17,000 deaths. Uh, Non-European Union travel is banned. So France, which is a country of rules and is also a rather conservative country, Uh, Maybe the last to allow Americans to fly back in on Air France, for example.
0: Yes, I'm I'm sure that they're going to do a a lot to try to protect their borders and get guarantees from any incoming traveler, American or otherwise, that we've either tested negative for the virus or we've done the antibody test, which basically, you know, suggests we're immune or maybe next year that we've actually been vaccinated.
2: You're absolutely right. And your uh, listeners would probably be interested in knowing that France is re- it's not a police state, but it can be a pretty efficient uh, state that uses its police forces. And uh, just the fact that it deployed one hundred and sixty thousand police to check people's um, attestation de placement derogatoire indicates that it, it can stop people from moving around. I, I dare, Can you pronounce that one more time for me? <laughs> attestation so attestation de déplacement de of deplacement derogatoire uh derogatory so ta, uh, literally an attestation of derogatory deplacement. you know what i i that that reminds me of my high school years but that's another story
0: um, <laughs> But the most important thing for people who are thinking of going back to one of their favorite destinations, otherwise known as Paris or France in general, is that you may not be going there in the summer. This may, this may extend to, to November.
2: I think one has to assume that this ban could continue through the summer. There are already um, calls, certainly in the EU, and they've been echoed by French officials, do not make plans for the summer coming to Europe.
0: Joining me now, one of our regulars on the show, he's one of our foreign correspondents, if you will, because he's been living for the last 20 years in over... 120 countries. He's either a fugitive from justice or uh, or he knows something we don't know, but actually he's living in Sweden right now. Our good friend Doug Lansky. How are you, sir?
1: Good. Good to hear from you, Peter.
0: You know, as we start going down the list of U.S. states that don't have a stay-at-home order, uh, one country comes to mind that also really doesn't have a stay-at-home order, and that's where you are right now in Sweden.
3: Yeah,
1: it's been quite remarkable. I mean, the prime the state minister, prime minister here, gave this big announcement, and everyone thought he was going to say lockdown. But he just sort of said, everyone take responsibility. responsibility. Responsibility, be careful, don't be stupid, but you know, life as usual.
0: But if you're going to take responsibility given the numbers and given the sheer, I mean, you know, insidious nature of this disease or this virus, you always want to stay home.
1: Yeah, well, actually, the way it's kind of played out here is that when I, so I, feel like I've had Corona. I was in the Alps at exactly the wrong time. I had all the classic symptoms. There was no testing available unless you're really critical. And I wasn't that critical. So I don't know 100% for sure. But I mean, it was right out of textbook. And I was right in the places in the Alps where it was, you know, quote, going viral. Uh, so I'm pretty sure I had it. And as someone like me, when you're almost positive, you've had it and you feel immune. You don't want to stay home. You want to go out. And I've, so I've gone to restaurants and shops. And I'll tell you, they're open for business. The restaurants, that are hard to get into are still hard to get into.
0: All right, so basically you're in denial.
1: (laughs) Uh, You know what? Although, so a good friend of mine is a public health official and he says Sweden has been a success story. I'm not saying this works everywhere because the ICUs haven't been, I mean, they've been strained but they haven't been bursting at the seams. And the thing with this death count that we're all kind of tuning into and getting a bit crazy with is that it doesn't account for like the long, the bigger picture, which is when people come out of lockdown, more people will get exposed to this until there's a herd immunity. So there will be a continuance of people getting sick from it and deaths from it. So even though there's some countries that appear to be winning, you know, as it were, whether it's Denmark, Iceland, South Korea, Taiwan, or whatever, that really when they come out of lockdown, there's still... People are gonna get this thing, and as long as the healthcare system can handle it then that seems to be the way we're all headed towards assured immunity. So the, the final score is yet to be seen.
0: Well, let me give you the updated score here from New York, which is not pretty. Uh, on average, one New Yorker is dying every two minutes. We're losing over 700 people a day. I mean, even though the hospitalization numbers are going down, the death t- count is not going down. And uh, it's doubtful we're going to emerge from this along the Trump schedule of May 1st. I doubt very seriously if New Yorkers are going to get any sort of a green light before June 15th.
1: Right. Well, I mean, I, I hear you. And I think I'm not saying that the Sweden model would work in New York necessarily or, or in any state or in some countries. But the, the health officials I've been speaking to uh, have been are clear in saying they think the Swedish model is working well in Sweden. And the, the other thing is that this, this death toll figure doesn't include other aspects of the equation, like people getting depressed, alcoholism. We know that just today, they announced alcohol sales in Sweden were up by 10 percent since since the corona thing took over um, over the same period last year. But the deaths, this is the interesting thing, deaths in March compared to the last four years in Sweden are plus minus zero. So even though we've had 900 deaths so far in Sweden in a country that has 10 million people, uh, it's no more nor less than the average for March. Um, and, And then he said, we're going to be looking at mental health issues that we have to factor into the equation. Also, fewer people have money to give to charities. So maybe in Africa or other parts of the world, there'll be people dying because they're getting less money for those programs. That There's going to be this long tail effect that are going to be things we're going to eventually have to put into the equation that we just don't have the data on yet.
0: Exactly. So for the moment, you're the exception to the rule. Uh, but at the same time, the international aspects of this affect Sweden. Of course, your airline is grounded. SAS uh, yeah. is not going anywhere for a while. They were one of the first to ground their entire fleet.
1: Yeah. I mean, I looked at the airport the other day. Uh, there are flights. There's like 10 flights a day coming out of Arlanda Airport. There's one going to Helsinki. There's one going to Oslo. There's one going to um, Copenhagen. And then there's like eight that are just domestic. And that's the whole activity for the for the airport here.
0: Right. And of course, looking at Europe in general, uh, Germany seems to have handled it pretty well. Their numbers are not going through the roof. Uh, Chancellor Angela Merkel is announcing that they're going to start to ease some restrictions on businesses. Uh, but by and large, you know, London is spiking. The rest of the United Kingdom is spiking. France has got huge problems. We already know about Italy and Spain. Uh, so let's take a little crystal ball attempt here and and try to figure out where we're going to go from here because, you know, this is a brave new world of protocol and a brave new world of liability and a brave new world of countries trying to restrict their borders. And my guess is, and I've said this earlier in the show, I guess I'm going to say it again, is that beware of reciprocity. All you need is one country saying we're not letting anybody come into our country unless they can guarantee us that they've either been tested negative for the coronavirus or they've had a vaccine, which, of course, doesn't exist yet. And the minute you have one country doing that, every other country is going to do the same.
1: Hmm. I mean, I've actually, I'm in support of these kind of you know antibody tests that if you can show you've got immunity to this you know, why wouldn't they let you in? It'd be crazy not to. And and uh so, I mean, I'm used to carry probably as you did those yellow cards yeah. around with you that showed yeah. you had the yellow vaccine, yellow fever vaccine and other vaccines and so forth. And we may need like a digital updated version of something like that in the interim period, at least until there's a vaccine. But I mean, going if we just play the tape forward half a year, I think we're going to have more masks, more gloves, probably some kind of medicine at that point that will help relieve some of the symptoms. Um, We will have uh, better materials to handle this thing. They're saying even at the ICU now, a good friend of mine works at the ICU here in Stockholm, and I heard that they're just getting better techniques of how to increase their survival rate for people who have had this. So the longer we can delay it, the more supplies we have, the better technique we have. There's going to be a higher survival rate.
0: And by the way, I think the masks are going to be complete protocol. Right now in the U.S., the TSA has changed their rules, allowing people to wear masks going through security. You don't have to take <laughs> your mask off. Uh, I, I, had to go to the bank. I had to go to the bank the other day. And it, I, of course in New York, we wear masks when we go outside. And, and so when I walked into the bank, it suddenly dawned on me. I'm wearing a mask inside a bank. Yeah, oh my exactly. God. Exactly. Um, I was,
1: yeah, I was joking with a friend the other day that, you know, these, these people who are wearing burqas at the airports, they had it right all along. We're the ones that are adopting to their, you know, <laughs> the mass version of going through the airport that way. And it's interesting how things have a different perspective when you introduce a new element into the equation.
0: Right. And we're not just talking about airports. We're changing. We're talking about fundamental changes, not whether we're going to travel. We're going to travel. But in the way we travel. And sometimes how we travel. One 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 subject comes to mind, of course, immediately, and that's cruise ships. Uh, they look to me to have the the biggest hill to climb, the steepest hill to climb, uh, because of public perception. You know, there are people out there who are absolutely convinced that a cruise ship is a floating petri dish. Uh, yeah. And and there's the subtext, having seen all those you know, those viral videos of some of those ships being quarantined in Yokohama or being unable to land either in California or to get to a dock in Florida, that you're going to get on a ship and you'll be stuck there for weeks being unable to leave because you'll be quarantined.
1: Yeah, actually, this is going to be interesting, both with airlines and cruise ships. I thought that thing with cruise ships not being allowed to dock, that just made my stomach turn. I mean, these are Americans in many cases coming home, trying to get back and it's like we've been bringing back soldiers from war zones for decades we should be able to you know set up a tent triage them and get them to the appropriate uh, protected hospitals as they needed uh that that was that was painful to watch and i think the same thing is going to keep people from being scared about traveling even these brave seniors who are like i don't want to spend my last years locked up some friend of theirs is going to say to them Well, do you want to, you know, get this disease or get some kind of virus and then be stuck quarantined in a country where you don't speak the language all alone and die in a hospital bed after two months in ICU? No, they're like, even though I'm not scared of dying, they might be scared of that. So what we need to do is develop policies for cruise ships, airplanes to repatriate our citizens, to get them home, even if they've got this illness. And that means working with companies like Boeing and Airbus and the big airlines to make sure they have either entire planes or some way to section off a plane if they can control the airflow, so that there's safe ways to get people home well, who yeah, have you this Well,
0: You just brought up a very interesting point. Let's go back to the failure of Thomas Cook in England. When Thomas Cook went under, and there airline went under with them. Uh, they stranded 150,000 uh, British citizens in locations all over the world. There was already a provision in place, a program already in, uh, in operation that allowed the British government to kick in the largest repatriation effort since Dunkirk to bring everybody home. And they did that within four or five days. We still, to this day, we still have Americans who are not getting home because the State Department hasn't been able to bring them back. Um, and I can't believe that in the year 2020, we don't have that kind of provision in place for our citizens.
1: Yeah, I couldn't agree with you more. And I, I think it's got to be a combination of teaming up with these the uh, airplane manufacturers, you know, creating these the kind of planes or the kind of systems to retrofit them or whatever, to make them safe. Airlines being on board with this, having some kind of a makeshift hospital At the airport that you can put them up a tent in an airline hangar and triage these people as they come off and then State Department, you know, green lights to let them land.
0: Doug, you know, we talked about how things are going to change, how we need to get some repatriation flight protocols set up so that anything like this happens again. We're prepared. I'm thinking about some fundamental changes in what we used to expect that may not be around anymore, like buffet, either at, in hotels or restaurants or on cruise ships. I think that's uh, That's probably going to be a thing of the past. I think that you're going to have to have some biometric system put in at hotel, uh, front desk so that before you check in, they have to take your temperature and figure out if you're okay because of the liability issues. Uh, I think that, uh, we're going to come up with new biometric systems before you even get on the plane because everybody wants to make sure that it's not happening. On their watch.
1: Yeah, there are some things that are changing. We're already seeing these plexiglass shields when you go to the supermarket and other places. They're turning the supermarket and, you know, the checkout process into like a, a buffet. Um, it's, it's interesting the kind of things they're putting up. But here's one interesting point. I, a German professor did a calculation after 9-11, and he found that 1,500 additional Americans died by on road accidents because there were so many people initially afraid of flying that they drove more, so we had more traffic fatalities. So, an additional 1,500 people died. So, the reaction wasn't entirely intelligent, even though our, it, it reacted to the fear that we had. So, we may have an, like, an immediate fear of these buffets, but then something else may happen where one of the cooks might sneeze into the food he's preparing when it's not a buffet and get everybody sick. And they're going to go, okay, it's not the buffet. It's actually worse to have one sick person in the kitchen. Then we're going to have more checks there. And We might just divert things. So, I'm just thinking we may see this take a few twists and turns before we land on the never again buffet idea.
0: Well, the buffet, notwithstanding, the other point that you made about the German yeah. research is going to happen again. When the green light happens, and I want to caution everybody, there won't be one green light. There'll be probably a hundred of them staggered by different regions, states, cities, and towns. And Americans now are allowed to travel again. The very first thing we're going to do is a road trip. Uh, it's yeah. exactly what happened after 9-11. We're going to go on road trips of under 400 miles. I predict national parks will be overloaded. I predict yeah. that RV sales will go through the roof. and Absolutely. RV rentals, because people are going to want their own self-contained mobile quarantine vehicles for their family um i I don't think that's going to be a big surprise to anybody when we start with domestic travel in the 48th continental united states totally agree thing is going to be does business travel come back do meetings and conventions come back do uh large sports events and will we have an nfl season this year with spectators in the stands i don't think we will
1: i you know I don't know. Uh, It's interesting to see coming from the Swedish perspective where it's basically been it's here. It feels kind of like Memorial Weekend if you didn't leave town where everything is about 30, 40 percent fewer people everywhere. It's easier to find a parking spot, easier to get a restaurant reservation, but generally pretty similar. People feel pretty brave and emboldened here. When I go out to the supermarket, when I go around town, I see maybe one out of a 100 people wearing masks. They're just not afraid of it here. And that, uh, like, overcoming the fear of things and maybe even seeing a place like Sweden, you know, quote unquote, succeed with this model may serve as a, I don't know, some kind of a model going forward for other places that have enough ICU capacity to do it. Because again, this is all about ICU capacity. If we had 20,000 ICU slots, we wouldn't be doing this lockdown thing. It's all about overloading. We're not trying to avoid getting it because we're all going to get it as we come outside at some point or be exposed to it in some way. It's just about not overloading the healthcare system. So as they add more beds, more makeshift hospitals, they may open stuff up more and they do a calculation of how many beds they need. I think that's going to be a huge part of the equation uh, in terms of getting ready for sporting events and bigger social things.
0: And, of course, the economic problem of figuring out foreign exchange and GDP when so many countries are so totally dependent on travel and tourism for that. Yeah, uh, it, it's this double edged sword. You know, Hawaii, as a, as a series of islands, have always has always protected their their borders from, you know, imported fruits and vegetables. They're worried about you know invasive species. Well, the new invasive species is me. Yeah. You know, it, so what, <laughs> yeah. you know, and yet Hawaii. Can't you know, can't economically sustain themselves or itself without travel and tourism. They're going to have to come up with all new protocols just for that state. Exactly.
1: Well, I think we're talking about some winners and losers in this situation. You listed one uh, as RV sales. I can totally agree with you there. But there's going to be, I think, the other short-term winners, as you were also hinting at or saying pretty directly, is going to be domestic tourism. Now, there's some countries like the U.S., like Germany, that have strong domestic tourism. But Iceland, Aruba, uh, Hawaii don't. And so they're really dependent, more so than other places, in having that international tourism. And so, you know, what I might see happening, honestly, is a place like Hawaii or the Caribbean Hotel Association sponsoring these antibody tests in their key markets and then saying, you know, getting those people tested and then saying, hey, if you've been tested and you've got immunity, you know, up to a certain expiration date, you're welcome to come and we'll welcome you in with open arms and give you some, you know, here's a coupon on top of it. So I we might it, see something it, I, like that happening.
0: I, I love it. I'll show up in Aruba with an expiration stamp on my forehead and, and a coupon.
1: <laughs> well, I, I mean, I think what they'll do is they'll give you some kind of an ID code and they'll link it to your name. And then when you get to the airport to check in, they'll tell everyone you have to, you know, look for your code and they'll see that you've got the official test. And I mean, something digital that's authentic and easy to get. It may happen. I mean, I, I wouldn't be surprised if something like that goes down.
0: Uh, I wouldn't be surprised either because this is a situation you have to throw out the law of supply and demand. The travel industry cannot discount their way back out of this. They're going to have to come up with innovative uh, protocols and, and ideas like the one you just mentioned to give people their security blanket, to make them feel trusted and to trust as well so that they will get on a plane. They will fly over a large body of water to go to someplace they've always wanted to go in the first place. Doug Lansky, thank you. Thank you so much for joining us in my book. You have no expiration date, so thank you again. <laughs> <laughs> but I—it's I, always I, a pleasure. But I'll give you a coupon. <laughs> <laughs> You've been listening to Peter Greenberg worldwide. Catch us each week as we broadcast from
1: a new location somewhere around the world.
0: If you like Ion Travel with Peter Greenberg, you can listen early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts.